This morning we're kicking off a brand new series called Unseen. We're going to be talking about the unseen world. And in our world, in America, we often dismiss the unseen. And if you go into the different parts of the world, especially third world, I was just recently in Haiti, um, there is an overemphasis in the unseen. Uh, In this series, we're closing out out of the book of Ephesians and want to get, okay, what does the Bible say? What does God's word say about this unseen reality? And how do we respond? How do we live in light of that? So let me pray for us and we'll dive in. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the songs that we sung to gather together in your presence. And Father, I ask that in this moment you will meet with us, that you will speak to us, that you will give us spiritual eyes to see and responsive hearts, that we would encounter the living God and be changed by you. And so we ask that you would have your way in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Why is it that, um, well, when you're ready to finally start working on your marriage, ready to actually do something about it, it seems like you get in the biggest fight of your life. Why is it when the moment you're finally ready to address the addiction, to finally call it what it is, to, to go get help, to come out of hiding, that the feeling of shame overwhelms, the sense of hopelessness surrounds, and retreat back into the safeties of what the addiction offers? Or perhaps, why is it when you want to truly honor God with your finances? And you go, okay, I'm, I actually want to get out of debt. That, that in those moments, it seems to happen that something goes awry. Some massive problem happens that you all of a sudden have an unexpected expense. Something broke down or... or Maybe an opportunity of a lifetime that causes you to jump in. Why is it that it feels like when we are about to take one step forward in life, it feels like our feet can be caught in quicksand, or the mountain in front of us feels impossible to climb? The other day, I came home, and uh, in our backyard, I found my umbrella that was in my, our outdoor patio set in the middle of our yard. I don't know if you remember this. Remember this a couple weeks ago when it was like crazy windy? And so I came, found our umbrella in the middle of the yard, and then we have these string lights on our deck, and they came crashing down. There's glass everywhere. My sweet little puppy dog is afraid in the corner. I know. Yeah, afraid. And so I show up and I'm having to clean all this stuff. But here's what. I wasn't there. But I know what happened. A person came into my backyard. They ripped it out. They hate us. It's my neighbors. They're the worst. No. Here's, you know what happened. The wind blew. 
The wind blew. It caught the umbrella, ripped it out, pulled down the lights in the process, and glass shattered everywhere. We are actually not strangers to the unseen reality affecting our seen or our visible. It happens all the time. In fact, just take a breath in. The very thing that sustains our life is this invisible reality that envelops us all around us. And the Bible actually describes an unseen spiritual world that is all around us. That there is a spiritual world that, that is enveloping us, and though we cannot see it, we can see its effects in our physical world. In fact, it would go this far to say everything physical is always preceded by something spiritual. Everything physical that you see is always preceded by something spiritual. Another way to say it, everything invisible or everything visible is always preceded by something invisible. In fact, AA actually understands this because this is such a powerful principle. This is actually one of those things that for some, this moment is going to help explain why you've been stuck. Why you've felt like you live somewhat of a defeated life. Why that certain area in your life, that certain issue, that certain problem, that certain relationship never quite could get resolved. And AA understands this. AA understands. I don't know if you've looked or read through the 12 steps. I know some of you have even gone through the 12 steps and then process with that. It starts off with this affirmation that you are powerless. That you, you can't fix the problem and you need a power greater than yourself, namely God. And if you walk through all the steps, at the center of it is recognizing that you have this physical addiction, but it's connected to something that is unseen. And here's the problem in our lives. We often try to fix our physical problems with physical solutions. Now, that's not bad entirely. But every physical problem has a spiritual root. And it's like going up to a weed and chopping off the top of it. And then when you cut it off, certainly it goes away for a second, but the roots are still there. And you've experienced this. I've experienced this where you take care of the physical side and yet the spiritual roots are still anchored in there. And so it grows up or grows in a different way in our life. Why? Because everything physical, everything physical and visible is always preceded by something spiritual and invisible. And so, and so that marriage problem, that marriage issue, as great as it is to get counseling, and I'm a big fan of counseling. I've talked about counseling a lot. I'm so, such a fan of that. But as great as that is, that is simply just surface stuff. And you have to get down to the root issue. You have to get down to the spiritual issue, that addiction. Perhaps some, you're even hooked on pornography, 
And you're in that addictive moment. And yes, the physical, you need accountability. Absolutely, thank you very much. That is huge. You need to set up filters. But until you deal with the spiritual root, it will simply pop up or grow back in different ways of our life. Because everything physical is always preceded by something spiritual. And until we rightly deal with the spiritual root, we will not experience the freedom and the victory we were designed to have. The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians is closing out our time and he's going to address this unseen world. Because often in our culture, if we're honest, we're completely unaware. We don't think about it. We go about our lives and yet we experience the effects of it all around us And yet, it's almost as if we keep trying to explain it, like somebody went into our backyard and ripped up the thing, and no, 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 the wind. And so if you'll spend the next four weeks with us, we're going to talk about this unseen reality, how you can actually experience victory in your life. And what God has for you. If you got your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We're talking about um, uh, Satan and demons. That's going to be really lighthearted this morning. And so we decided we're going to make it hot as hell in this room. (laughs) I don't know what's going on with the air conditioning, but uh, trust me, I'll try to be brief. The Apostle Paul, as he closes out his letter to the Ephesians, gives us um, profound insight into this spiritual realm. That there is this spiritual realm around us that is just as real as what you see, touch, and feel. And he writes this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Like, the source of your strength is God and not you. His power, not your power. His wisdom, not your wisdom. Why? He goes on. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Here's why. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our our struggle actually isn't around the physical realm. Your struggle... (laughs) isn't your boss. Your struggle isn't your spouse or your kids, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This morning, what we want to do is lay a foundation, and we're going to be building on this throughout the next few weeks, a foundation of what is happening and going on in the spiritual realm. And many believers and followers of Jesus in America are often all too unaware. Sometimes we just completely forget about this reality. But I just want to give you three key observations from this text this morning. The first observation is this. We are in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle. 
The minute, by the way, and I love this, I was with Jean-Jean in Haiti, and you get to see the spiritual world in a whole different reality when you have voodoo going on all around you. You have curses and spells, and you have literal, spiritual, physical interaction happening. And he tells every believer, the minute you stepped into a relationship with Jesus, you stepped into the war. We are in a spiritual battle. Notice the Apostle Paul says, put on the full armor of God. Well, why do you need armor? Because you're going to the beach, that's why. And you put armor on at the beach. No, you need armor because you're going into battle. Well, where is the battle? We're in a spiritual battle. It is in the spiritual realm. You're not battling against your coworker. You're not battling against your company. You're not battling against that jerk or that family member. They are not the battle. This is so important because this transforms the way we interact with people when we no longer make them the enemy. Okay, our battle. We have a spiritual battle going on all around us, and we are in a battle. And our battle, by the way, isn't a political system or ideology, a government, or even leader. Well, where is the battle? In the heavenly realms against the spiritual forces of evil. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians would say it this way. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. I just wanted to remind some of you this morning, or actually maybe this is the first time you ever heard of it, that you have weapons in the spiritual realm that have power and authority from God. They have divine power to demolish what? Strongholds. It's interesting when we're talking about everything physical always is preceded by something spiritual. And some have some very physical stronghold in your life. Stronghold of greed, pride, bitterness, addiction, anger, jealousy, selfishness, shame. And yet you've been resourced with divine power to demolish. I love that word, demolish. Not like, hey, I'm just going to make a little dent in this. No, no, no. Destroy, level, flatten. We demolish arguments. That's every speculation. That's what the enemy likes to do, speculate with you. Well, really? Remember in the garden? Well, really? Really? Did God really say that? Is that really the way things are? Every argument. You know, they're really the problem, not you. Your anger actually is justified. You're not greedy, you're frugal. You're not selfish. No, 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 no. You're not selfish. No, please. They're, they're the ones, they're the problem. Against every argument and every pretension. Pretense is an attempt to make something that is not uh, the case to appear to be true. 
It's a con. It's a trick that sets itself up against God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And often the battle, not always, but often the battle is happening in our minds. And so, and so the first observation, and it's something we often miss or forget, we are in a very real spiritual battle. And so we have a very real enemy. We have an enemy. Notice the Apostle Paul said, take your stand against what? Anybody? Against, yeah, we can say the devil in church. Okay, we got that out. (laughs) Take your stand against the devil, the devil's scheme. Now, when we talk about the devil, uh, sometimes we can think of it like, okay, is this a personification of evil? Is this a literal person? See, you have a very real enemy. The Bible speaks about this enemy, Satan the devil, as a very real being. An enemy is someone out to get you, that hates you, that wants to destroy you, that will do whatever it takes to undermine your integrity and purity. They'll do whatever it takes to twist the truth so that you believe alive, to cause you to be complacent in your faith and to rob you of joy. Well, who is this enemy? Satan originally uh, was a cherub angel created by God. There's two classifications of angels. God created angels, and then you have uh, Satan, who was the highest of all created beings. There's none who compared to him uh, in beauty, power, And wisdom, an angel is simply a messenger of God, a servant of the Most High. A cherub was one, the the angels who were charged with ministering in the very presence of God. Okay, well, if that's who he is, then how did we get to here? Where did Satan come from? First, he's created perfect, which is really important for us to remember. Satan is not equal to God, but a created being. Originally, the guardian of God's glory, and yet had his occasion to sin, had free war. Angelic beings are given free choice. His power and beauty led to pride. Rebelled against God, tried to be God and took a third of the angelic host with him. Well, what are Satan's tactics? This enemy? We can learn a lot about his tactics by looking at his names. Satan, that word simply means adversary. The primary goal of Satan is to undermine God's will and God's way in your life. Ultimately, longs to cause you to question God's goodness. Because if you can question God's goodness, then you no longer trust him. Another one of Satan's names, devil, we've said it, means slanderer. False accusations. Saying that you're worthless. Saying that you're unlovable. Saying that you're a failure. Another one of Satan's names is the evil one, refers to his essential character, that everything is tainted with this pulling away from the the holiness of God. Known as the tempter and then the accuser. And this is the way Satan works in our lives, by the way. He tempts us, lures us. 
been doing this from the very beginning as if it has this lure. You ever fish? Anybody fish? Okay, yeah, yeah. And so what you do is you take a hook, you throw it in the water, and you sit and wait. No, of course not. Because if you did that, no fish would bite a hook. You disguise the hook, do you not? With something that looks real, with something that seems and moves real. It it always offers what it can't provide, and it always has some hooks entangled in it. And this is what Satan does. He tempts or lures us away from God. Tempts and says, you know, no, no, that marriage isn't worth saving. No, 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 your integrity, come on, who really cares? Come on. He, he just constantly says, come on, come this way, come on, come on, just try it out. The water is so good, and God is holding out on you. It is so much more fun over here. Come hang out. This party is going to be amazing. And then, and then he flips, he's two-faced. And he accuses. And the minute you step in and you bite and the hook's got you, you know what he does? Shame. Condemnation. Guilt. Serious? Again? Again? You did that again? How many times did you tell God you weren't going to do that? Like that was the last time and then you did it again. Huh. You know what? God would never want you back. Oh, you should no, no, no. You should just keep going because 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 he doesn't he doesn't even care anymore. Condemnation, like just this piling on of guilt, piling on of man, you're such an idiot, you're such a failure, and you have the tempter. And then he two-faced on you, he is the accuser. He is called the ruler of this world. This world system tries to offer good things as ultimate things that ultimately become the downfall. In First John, we hear what the world system is, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. It's this idea of possessions, of pleasure, and power. Somehow will satisfy us instead of God himself. Representations of Satan uh, throughout the Bible is a serpent, meaning that he's crafty as a dragon, that he's fierce, the morning star, and masquerades as an angel of light. Satan's strategy is to disguise himself to look good. To sound good, to feel good, but what he's offering is anything but good. And so we have a very real enemy, and we are in a spiritual battle. And the good news is you are not left to fend for yourself. The good news is you don't have to try to figure this out on your own. The good news is Satan is a liar, and often we buy into the lie, and yet we have a God who is a deliverer 
and a God who has provided for us. See, uh, in the book of Ephesians, 36 times we see this reference in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's one of the predominant themes of the book. In fact, the deep work of spiritual formation is rightly understanding our identity in Christ. When we get that right, then everything else flows from that. And you see, in Christ, in Christ, next slide, we do not fight for victory, but from victory. We do not fight for victory as if, hey, somehow, uh, you know, maybe I might win this time. Somehow we just might get it figured out. I don't know. Wringing our hands because, gosh, man, we have, it's so sad, so many defeated Christians. But Christ has already won the victory. See, you're in Christ. That's your position. That's your place. That's what's true of you. And so as a result, what's true of Jesus is now true of you. You are in Christ. And so you're no longer fighting for victory, so, somehow trying to get to this level. You fight from victory because you have a victorious, risen king. Um, every single morning, uh, I drink coffee. Anybody else coffee drinkers? Anybody else cannot survive if you do not drink? Yes, thank you very much. That's me. And my wife and I both drink our coffee differently. And so my sister drinks it. We drink it the same. Uh, I, I drink it black. Anybody black? Anybody? Okay, yeah. Be more proud. Um, thank you. Uh, and, but my wife drinks it with cream. And so in the morning, you, we get our coffee ready. I'm woke. I, I'm woke up. <laughs> Yeah, that's where we're going this morning. Mm. <laughs> Anyways, all, all that to say, I, I have a coffee grinder is where I was going that wakes me up in the morning. <laughs> it's amazing. Fresh, you know, ground um, coffee beans. You smell the aroma. It percolates. It's beautiful. This magic, magic, magic solution. <laughs> Some mornings we are together and, you know, I haven't left early and so I'll pour a cup of coffee. But then when I get Jenny's coffee, I go to the fridge and I get her cream and I take out the cream and I put the cream in the coffee. I put the cream, this cream in this coffee and I stir it around and something happens to the coffee. It now changes. It's now no longer black and white. We now have this beautiful brown elixir that my wife absolutely loves. But the reality is, is this is a picture for what it looks like for us being in Christ. See, wherever the coffee goes, the cream has to go because the cream is in the coffee. And so when I take the coffee to my wife, the cream is following because it's intermixed. It is inseparable from the coffee now. And you are in Christ now. And you are mixed in with Christ. And so you have all the full rights, all the full reality of who you are in Christ. And it can never be undone. Mm. 
And so in Christ, we do not fight for victory, but from. You see this? In Jesus, you have a victorious, risen Savior. At the cross, he defeated sin. Sin is what separates us from God. And, and, and ultimately, what sin does is bring death. Death is just simply separation, right? It's just I'm separated. And if I sin against you, if I lie to you, it brings separation in our relationship. So obviously, it brings, when we sin against the author of life, it brings death. Because we're separated from life now. And at the cross, Jesus defeated sin. And he defeated death at the resurrection. And he defeated Satan where he is powerless because we have a powerful king. What would it look like, friends, if we began to realize that everything physical is always preceded by something spiritual and where we would go to the root of the issue and realize we have a victorious savior in our lives see as we talk on this subject over the next few weeks it is not that we have fear because we have Jesus and this is why the apostle Paul would close this way finally Be strong. Be strong. Like, suck it up. (laughs) Like, stop throwing yourself a pity party. Stop acting like you can't. But not because you're all that strong. Not because you have it all figured out. But finally, be strong in the Lord. And that is your position. You are in Christ. And in his mighty You are victorious because Christ has already defeated. What would it look like if you took maybe perhaps some of those strongholds in your life? And I'm not saying there's not an importance to the physical cutting of things there is but where in this moment you said there's no there's a spiritual root here that I've never addressed and I'm going to bring that to Jesus and tomorrow when I wake up I'm going to take the next step not because I think I can take the step but because I'm trusting God's strength to give me to take the next step. I want to close with 
Michelle just singing the chorus of, I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I am a child of God. When you get that, when you embrace that, it changes everything. And it is the starting point for this conversation. Jesus, thank you for this morning and our time. In this room, there are some men and women who have lived, lived defeated life. There's something in their life, maybe it's an anger issue, maybe it's an addiction issue, maybe it's a relationship that's going on. But there's something that has plagued them for a lifetime and they've just accepted this is the way it is and you want to meet them there. And the invitation is instead of running from God and allowing the enemy's lies to say that you are no good and worthless, unlovable, and God doesn't want you, that you would address that with the truth that you are loved so much that Christ died for you. He came for you. He gave his life for you because he wants to be with you. And you do not have to live in defeat because he is victorious. And you run to God. And you run to God. And you run to God. And where you allow the words of this song to be your anthem, your declaration. That whole idea of being strong in the Lord, I think means this. Uh, We've been in, for us personally, one of the craziest, fastest pace, and God's doing incredible things at our church. We're about to celebrate baptisms, which is unbelievable sign of like someone being transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son he loves and he's growing our church as a result our family's had lots of different spiritual opposition and times where maybe you felt like this I can't go on I'm tired I'm discouraged I'm dismayed maybe you came in feeling defeated I've been reading the story of Gideon again recently, and one of the lines, and I was just talking to a buddy about this before church, that when Gideon's calling, um, or when God's calling Gideon, and he's so apprehensive about it, you know what he says to him? I love this line. Go in the strength that you have. Just go in the strength that you have. Am I not sending you? Am I not sending you on your way? So go in the strength you have, not the strength you think you need to have, not the strength you wish you had, not the strength you even think you sh- that you should have for this, but go in the strength you have, and I'll show you that I am strong. And so this morning, as you go, as you go in Christ, mm, Go in the strength you have in Jesus' name. Amen.